everybody. Uh, who in here, uh, this is your first time and you're actually on exchange at Yonsei University. If that's you, raise up your right hand, just let us know who you are. You're on exchange from Yonsei. Let's welcome all the college students. Yeah, right on. We're glad that you can join us. All right. And if you guys didn't know, I heard uh, Eno's sister is also in the house. She's, uh, she's right there, Eno's sister. What's, 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 I'm sorry, what's your name again? Jennifer. Jennifer. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It's Eno's younger sister. Older. Oh, my bad, Eno. My bad. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're glad that everyone can join us today. It's, uh, it's always a good day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Uh, let's look at Proverbs 25, verse 28. I just want to preach a very important message today. Proverbs 25, 28 says in the ESV, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. A man without self-control. Yeah. Who would like self-control in here? Self-control is a good thing. Yeah. Some of you have uh, not self-control. You have uh, your friend control or your, your sibling control. That's a bad thing. All right. Self-control is a good thing, though. Um, now, this translation... Um, ESV is known to be a literal translation of the Bible, but here they actually interpret it for us, all right? And so what's helpful here is the New King James Version, or the King James Version. Uh, Both of these versions, they don't interpret it, they actually translate it into the literal. And in the New King James it says, same verse, it says, Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without, uh, without walls. I'm going to read that again. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. All right. And so the literal translation has the word spirit in there. And it says, whoever has no rule over his own spirit. Now, back in the day, when they used to build cities, they used to build cities with walls. And that's how you knew where the city began and where the city ends. The boundaries were marked off by walls. And uh, these walls would surround the city. And it would provide safety and security for that city. Now without a wall, the city would be vulnerable to all kinds of attacks from different armies. Different animals. Different uh, looters and criminals. You know, And so the walls provided that protection for these cities. And uh, in the Bible... When Joshua and the Israelites, they were entering into the promised land, God had them stop and sack a city called Jericho. Now, the Israelites were not interested in residing in Jericho. They were not interested in making their home there. Rather, God was having them completely destroy the city. And one of the reasons why is because it was important that as they went into the promised land, that Jericho would not become a safe haven and a base from which uh, foreign armies can attack Israel once they were in the promised land. So it was very important that they had destroyed uh, Jericho. Now, one thing that we know about this common story is that Jericho was a city 
with very strong walls. Those walls were probably very high. Those walls were very thick. It was like a fortress. It was a stronghold there. And uh, as we know, the God had the Israelites circle the city, right? Once for every six days. And on the seventh day, had them circle seven times and then give a shout, right? And when they gave that shout, the interesting thing the Bible says is that the walls of the city caved inwards rather than outwards. All right, it was very interesting because you, you couldn't have made that happen physically. All right, so the walls caved inward and they went in and they destroyed the whole city. Now, um, walls, very important in securing a city. Amen? Amen. Uh, the people of China took this concept to a whole other level. <laughs> they decided not only will they wall off the city, they will wall off the whole country. And they built what was called the Great Wall. Um, later on, it wasn't so practically useful, but you know the concept was there. The same concept, right? Uh, today, our cities are not walled off. Why? Because the technology of our weaponry makes walls a thing of the past. Right? You can have really high walls. I mean, you can have walls high as 63 floors or something. And the only thing that that will do is just block out the sun, you know, because uh, we have weapons that just go right through it and over it, you know. Um, so walls are a thing of the past. But this concept of a city having walls and that and those walls being important is something that's worth revisiting today as we read this passage. Proverbs twenty five twenty eight says, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Let me ask you a question. Do you have rule over your own spirit? Turn to your neighbor, ask them right now. Do you have rule over your own spirit? Ask one of our newcomers. Do you have rule over your own spirit? Do you have rule over your own spirit? Do you know how to govern your spirit? Are you always just going with the flow? Are you always just reacting to circumstances? Are you able to govern your spirit? Rule your own spirit. Because when you do not have this ability, when you don't learn how to govern your spirit, the Bible says you're like a city with broken down walls. You're vulnerable. To all kinds of attacks. You're vulnerable to distraction. To anger. Discouragement. Fear. Irritability. You know, one area in which I must confess that I have not been able to successfully govern my spirit. Is in the, aid, in the area of road rage. I'm just being honest. All right. I must confess. All right, maybe it's something that I picked up in Philadelphia. All right. But, you know, in Philly, growing up, respect was a very important thing on the streets. And there's a way you got that respect. And there's a way you don't cross somebody else's respect and stuff like that. And when you drive, man, if you ever drive in Philly, by the way. All right. Be careful. Don't drive rude. 
All right, because in Philadelphia there are stories of people who had road rage. Drove, there's one story of a guy that drove past another guy that had just cut him off, took out a gun and shot the guy. All right, so that's that's welcome to Philadelphia, right? <laughs> or if you go, if you ever go to one of the, our Eagles games, things like that, you know, you don't come wearing the opposing team's jersey. All right, like I remember uh, there's a YouTube video. And it's, uh, I forget which game. I think it was Pittsburgh, the game, one of the games. And two fans decided to wear the opposing team's jersey and sit right in the, in the middle of all these Eagles fans. And it was uh, a day or two before, before it had snowed. So all these Eagles fans are just pelting these two guys with snowballs. But the amazing thing is the video is like, I don't know, like eight minutes long. Throughout the entire eight minutes, there is non-stop snowballs. Okay. Philadelphia Eagles fans, they do have a bad rap for being a little bit violent, a little bit. Uh, they don't know how to govern their spirits very well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I picked up some of that growing up and yeah, man, I still struggle with it. You know, like if, if somebody cuts me off in soul, you know, it's common. I don't mind. But if you cut me off in a way that you almost cause an accident, and especially if my wife is in the car, you know, I, that, that stuff don't sit right. You know, and so in those moments, I know the Holy Spirit. What was that about? Holy Spirit comes like a dove. All right. Uh, <clears throat> Holy Spirit. You know, he, yeah, he, he is very grieved. And he's like, you know, my wife, Erin, has seen everything. Erin um, has seen everything. Oh, my goodness. And in, in, the, in the short two and a half years we've been married, wow, I've been, I, I don't get embarrassed about it. But, man, I should be embarrassed. Because some of the things I did, man, I would, like, like, race a guy to try to catch up to him just to say something. And, of course, they don't understand what I'm going to say because I'm going to say it in English. Okay, if I say it in Korean, it takes the umph out of it. Because, you know, I'm like, uh, I just see way, way, way good to say, yo. You know, like, doesn't sound as good as, yo, punk, what you think you're doing? I'm going to kill you. You know, like, I'm sorry. I confess I've done it many times. But, you know. The Lord, you know, he highlighted this verse a few years ago, and I memorized it. And every time I did that, the Lord reminded me, you're like a city without, with broken down walls. That needs to go, son. That needs to go. Because you can't have that overflowing to other areas of your ministry and life. That's got to go. And my sister is also very familiar with some of this. All right. But enough about me. You know, you can receive all the prophecies in the world, but it ain't going to get you anywhere if you don't know how to govern your spirit. Um, so I want to just offer you guys some advice on how to govern your spirit. How to govern your spirit. Number one, do not trust what you see, but trust what God says. The economy is in a recession you just lost your job. Your 401k was $50,000 one day and now it's $5,000 the next. Your health insurance company decided to drop you, your coverage. 
and you're in the middle of getting medical treatment. You're, uh, there's a loss in your family. There's a robbery. There's a corruption in your business. You lose a lot of money. Okay. Now, when we, as Christians, we see these things, we got to learn how not to trust what we see, but to trust what God has said. And to trust what God is saying. Because as Christians, you see, we, the Bible says we are the seed of Abraham and heirs according to that promise. And the promise that God made to Abraham thousands of years ago, he said that I will bless you and you will be a blessing to all the nations, all the families of the earth. They will be blessed through you. Your, your descendants are going to be like the sand on the seashore. Like the stars in the sky. Like the dust of the earth. There's only increase in your future. And the, what the Bible is saying in the New Testament is, when it says you are the seed of Abraham, the Bible is saying that in Christ, you inherit that promise. That promise is yours. So that when a recession hits, you got to learn how to govern your spirit. Don't trust what you see. Because everybody else is watching the news and everybody else is talking about how bad it is. But you got to learn how to trust what God has said. No, there will only be increase in your life. There might be temporary setbacks, but let me tell you, this is temporary. We got to trust what God has said, not what we see. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.18, we fix our eyes on what, not on what is seen, but what is on what is unseen. So that when a recession hits, we are not to fix our eyes on that recession. We are to fix our eyes on the unseen increase that God has promised to you. The big dreams that He's placed on your heart. You don't have to figure out all the details of how you're going to get there. And even your own plans of how to get there, let's say it just, it's like a monkey wrench in there. It just, you just, you just feel like you're, you don't, all those details were ruined. It's okay. You don't have to know all the details. All you got to do is trust what God has said. Trust His promises. You're, the promises of God, they don't fail in a time of recession. They don't expire because you lose your job. Or you lose your visa. Or because a business venture didn't work out the way you hoped. The promises of God, they are yes and amen in Christ. And we got to trust what the Lord has said and fix our eyes on what is unseen. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we live by faith, not by sight. And as a people of God, it's important that we learn how to govern our spirit. Because... When we see these things, circumstances happening around us, our temptation will be to try to react to these circumstances. And when you react to the circumstances, what you're doing is you're agreeing. You're coming into agreement and you're coming into alignment with these circumstances. And when you react in that way, that can delay the promises of God for your life. That can set you back on what God has timed out for you. Brothers and sisters, we are not to be governed by circumstance. We need to be led by the Spirit of God. 
And when you're led by the Spirit of God, you need to learn how to govern your spirit. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, we got to choose not to, this is really important, we got to choose not to react, but learn how to respond. You know, so many people, they live their lives in reaction to something. You know, if, you, if you've been hurt in your childhood, there's people, there's many people actually. You know, one author said it like this, 100% of the people that he does healing and deliverance with, 100% of them are dealing with some form of rejection from the past. They're living in reaction, overcompensation, a readjustment to a rejection that they were experiencing in the past. And we're all, we're all just being changed from glory to glory out of that place. And the good news is God will get you out of there if you keep your eyes fixed on Him. Um, but we need to learn how to respond, not to react. Because when you see something like a recession, when you see a conflict, a crisis, a negative situation, you will feel your emotions wanting to react a certain way. You may feel your physical body wanting to react a certain way. And in those moments, when the anxiety is starting to creep in, when the fear is starting to flood in, that's when you got to govern your spirit and say, no, I'm not flowing with that. God didn't say that all these things have come to nothing. God didn't say that all that was in vain. I'm going to govern my spirit. I'm going to realign myself so that I don't react, but I learn to respond to what God has already said. You know, it's just so, so important in the, in the body of Christ that we learn how to walk responding rather than reacting. You know, you don't want to be led by emotions. Now, emotions are good. Emotions are necessary. But when your emotions are leading the way, you're in a very troubling place. When your emotions lead the way, that's when you start pedaling the gas and then trying to go after some poor Ajashi that probably didn't even know what he did. <laughs> Just so you can roll down your window and look at him like... <laughs> you know, like... You, you let your emotions lead. You, you do foolish things like that. When you let your emotions lead, you're being a soulish man. Soul, it's a Greek word, psyche, where we get the word psychology, right? Your soul is divided up of your, your mind, your emotions, and your will. If you let your mind, emotions, and will govern your life, and all you do is like, I just do what I feel like. I want to do whatever I want to do. I do whatever I will. I do whatever I feel. I do whatever I think. You're a soulish person. But God's, God doesn't want soulish people in the body of Christ. He wants spiritual people. People that are led by the Spirit. People know who, who know how to govern their spirit. People know, who know how to shift and realign themselves to the promises of God. Even when the circumstances look like it's going elsewhere. Proverbs 16.32, we read this as well earlier. It says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Isn't that interesting? The Bible says, in heaven, he who rules his spirit is better than he who takes a city. So even if you're like Genghis Khan and you're able to take over cities, 
or, or, or you're doing ministry and you're able to just, you know, just do incredible ministry in the tens and hundreds of thousands. Or even if you're like uh, Mayor Rudy Giuliani and you're like governing an entire city like New York City. Even if you're in the position of a Genghis Khan or Rudy, Rudy Giuliani, the Bible says in heaven's view, he who rules his spirit is better than Genghis Khan or Rudy Giuliani. I mean, you could be in that important seat, that important position. I mean, you could be the lead pastor of this church. But if Doug here, he knows how to rule his spirit and the lead pastor doesn't, the, the Bible says in heaven, they think more highly of Doug. I can't have that. <laughs> we need to learn how to govern our spirit. When, when, we, when we react to the circumstances of life, that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives outside of time. So it's hard for the Holy Spirit to react to things that happen in time. He don't live there. We do. But we got to understand we're connected with the Holy Spirit. We're filled with the Holy Spirit who is living outside of time. And if he doesn't start to panic, that means you don't panic. Many reactions, to tell you the truth, they're rooted in the flesh, not in the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, the Bible says we're the seed of Abraham. Say, I am the seed of Abraham. And heirs according to that promise. If you're a seed of Abraham, that means that there's only increase in your future. That every new job you get, you should expect increase. Like Joseph. Every new job was better and better and better. More authority. There, your, 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 even your finances. You should expect increase. The word of God says you are the head and not the tail. You shall lend and not borrow. The blessing of God will chase you down and overtake you. Your ministry can only see increase. Because you're the seed of Abraham. That's your identity. That's what you have inherited. If you come in alignment with that and you stay at that place, I'm telling you, there's only increase for you in the future. There might be temporary setbacks, but I'm telling you, they are not there to stay. They are there to go. You just walk right through. You say, oh, setback? Oh, this ain't where I belong. I'm walking right through the setback. I'm going to increase. Even the way that God transforms our character, He does it with ever-increasing glory, from glory to glory. Like we behold Jesus. And when, even when you come to a Sunday service, even when you go to a Friday fire prayer meeting and you go to a Sunday swim prayer meeting, the more you behold Jesus, you become that which you behold. And the Bible says... As we behold him, we are transformed into his likeness from glory to ever increasing glory. There's only increase for you. But what the devil tries to do is he tries to make everything around you look like decrease. To look like loss. To look like nothing's working out. That everything is lacking. That you don't have what you need to do what you need to do. That's, how the, that's the kind of picture that devil paints. You losing this, you losing that, you messed up there, you messed up here. Decrease. 
That's what the devil wants you to focus on. But this is where we need to learn how to govern our spirit. And we need to disallow any of that from settling into our spirit. When you have rule over your own spirit, you are only determined by what the Lord says. You are not determined by your circumstance. When you learn how to govern your spirit, you are unmoved by the shaking that's happening in the world. You know, right now, you know, if you watch news reports, the U.S. economy is scared, filled with incredible fear. Because as the turmoil happens in the Middle East and North Africa, many of our oil reserves, our, our oil sources come from the Middle East. And so as all these countries are not able to provide the oil, even though the U.S., uh, they were in partnership with like these terrible dictators, at least those terrible dictators you know, provided a consistent flow of oil and they sold and exported a consistent flow of oil. But now that these dictators are being chased out of the country, they're stepping down. Oh, man, you guys have to check it out. ABC News did a, a special report on, on Egypt. And, the, and it kind of chronicled the 18 days up until uh, uh, the, uh, the president left town, right? And when I was watching this, it was incredible. I mean, it had to be the spirit of God because there was so much rejoicing throughout the entire city, throughout the entire nation. If you watch this video... I'm telling you, right? It's like that core value we have. Freedom is for everyone. Man, Egypt found out through Twitter and through Google and through Facebook that freedom is for everyone. And they were like, you know what? Freedom is for Egypt. We want freedom here. And they protested for 18 days. And the president stepped down. Have you, you, got, you got to watch this video. I mean, it, it was stirring up tears, emotion in me. It's powerful. You got to start watching some of these videos. What happened in, uh, in Tunisia? You know, you know how the whole thing started? Do you know how the whole thing started? It's, it's a tiny country, Tunisia, right, in North Africa. It started with a guy, a fruit vendor. Uh, it started with a fruit vendor. And this fruit vendor, you can check, you can check my news sources, right? I was just listening to, uh, to 60 Minutes. And, they, and um, this fruit vendor, the government official came by and took the scale that the fruit vendor was using to weigh the fruit. It was like $100, worth about $100. And they took it. And he knew that in order to get it back, he would have to pay a bribe. And he had done this probably several times already. And he got so sick and tired of paying these bribes and been dealing with the corruption of the government that he hiked up to City Hall and to the uh, government buildings and he started protesting with him and another fruit vendor friend. <laughs> right? And when, when he wasn't getting noticed, you know what he did? He got gasoline... From a gas station, poured it over himself, stood in the middle of the street, and lit himself on fire. When the Tunisian people saw this, they were appalled, and they quickly identified with the emotion and the frustration that he'd been feeling. And so, uh, they they barely saved him. He died a few days later, right? But that's the fire that sparked off this entire Jasmine Revolution. Started from Tunisia, spread over to Egypt. I mean, it's taken over the whole... I mean, there's a shaking going on. And the U.S. economy is filled with so much fear. You know, because if the gas prices go up, that means less less money for food, less money for gifts, less money for spending sprees, whatever. 
So, so they're, they're afraid that the U.S. economy is going to hit a, hit a recession, and, and it, it probably would if nothing changes. But I'm telling you right now, when you learn how to govern your spirit, none of the shaking that goes on in the world, even if the whole world is literally being shaken, you will not panic. You will not react. And the things that God has shown you, you will just continue to go through with it faithfully. You make your adjustments where need be. But the purposes of God, the plans of God have not failed. You realize that they have not failed. Brothers and sisters, we need to learn how to govern our spirit. How to rule our own spirit. Uh, Pastor Benjamin, he shared with me this story. In 2 Kings 25, talks about how the king of Babylon attacked Jerusalem to take it over. And it's interesting how he did it. It says the, the king of Babylon set up around Jerusalem, which is a walled city. And the way that he attacked Jerusalem was he built siege works. Or in the older translation, it says siege walls. Siege walls were set up. So there's like the Jerusalem walls. And then there was another wall set up around Jerusalem. They spent days just building these brick walls. And then what they would do is they would attack Jerusalem and then they would hide behind these walls. So a very effective military campaign, right? And uh, what Pastor Benjamin shared with me is one of the primary components that Satan uses to make up his siege wall to attack us is shame. You see... He shows you what you did wrong. He shows you what you, done, what you said wrong. He shows you everything that you did wrong. He says, look at this. Look at this, you, you big mess up. Look at you. You shouldn't have said this. You shouldn't have said that. This is all your fault. And then he hides behind that siege wall. So after all those words are spoken over you, all, all you're left with is these feelings of shame and guilt. And you're thinking, oh, this is all my fault. Oh, man, why did I say that? Ah, I should have been more careful. And Pastor Benjamin uh, was saying that Satan tries to convince us that this is all our fault. And when we come in agreement that this is all our fault, when we start to accept that this is all our fault, I'm responsible for this. What happens is we don't go after the enemy anymore. Because it's not the enemy's fault, by the way. It's your fault. And when you carry that kind of shame, it slows you down from doing the work of the Lord. But Pastor Benjamin was sharing with me that, you see, that's a complete lie. He said, the blood of Jesus covers everything that I've ever said, do, or done. The blood of Jesus covers all of that. So when the devil says, you hurt this person, this is your fault. You should have been careful the way you spoke. This is all your fault. You say, no. I don't come in an agreement with that. And you start to govern your spirit and say, no, I didn't hurt this person. No, I love this person way too much to even, even intend to hurt them. No, this is, this, I, my, my heart is in the right place for this person. This is not my fault. I reject this shame. 
And then you go and you, know, you talk to that person. And you speak to them with love. And then, you know, whatever issue they thought they had, there, there are no issues. It gets all cleared up. Uh, Pastor Benjamin shared with, us, uh, shared with me a story of a young girl one day. She came into his office. And she came in crying and weeping and saying, Pastor Benjamin, you hurt me. You've been hurting me so much. You know, last week at the picnic, at the church picnic, I came, you came over and said hi to this girl. And then when you came near me, you just gave me the cold shoulder. And, and then Pastor Sonny, when I went up to Pastor Sonny, she did the same thing. I'm in so much pain. You hurt me. You hurt me. And Pastor Benjamin says, stop. Said, he said, I don't have the ability to hurt you. I love you too much. Sonny and I, we love you too much to do that to you. Maybe my baby was crying that day and the timing of it was off and I just looked toward her when you came toward me. But I, we did not intentionally give you the cold shoulder. That is a lie. And, she, and then he, he said to her, now govern your spirit, young lady. And don't let this attack of the devil isolate you from the rest of the community. Because the devil can get you divided and isolated. That's when he can attack you even deeper. Uh, he just said, don't, don't, now govern your spirit, young lady. And don't let the devil isolate you. That's what, that's what he said. <clears throat> now, Pastor, Pastor Benjamin could have let her go on. He could have let her go on and said, oh, you know what? I'm so sorry. I, mean, I, could, I, was, I could be so careless sometimes. I'm, I'm sorry. That's my fault. She would have cried more. Ah, I'm in so much pain. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know? Nah, you know, that's, that's not what was really happening. You know, and Pastor Benjamin was able to identify that, right? And, and then, but what happened at the end after he said all that, he started to prophesy life over her, prophesy sonship identity over her. And she left the meeting just praising the Lord, you know. And when he was telling me the story, I was thinking, man, that happened so many times here in New Philly. <laughs> All right. Don't act like it doesn't happen with you. I know, I know it happens a lot here as well, you know. And uh, most of the time, you know what? You know how I respond? I, I apologize. I'm sorry. I mean, that's if I get a chance to talk to you, right? I'm sorry, this is all my fault. You know, I'll be careful next time. I'll try harder next time. And the person is just, and the devil is just like beating my face and saying, it's all your fault. Look at that, it's all your fault. What, what's the real story? The devil's the one who went into that person and tried to isolate them. And then, you know, I just, I'm just hugging people during the offering. And then, you know, I just happened to turn one quarter, turn the wrong way. And there was a split half a second in which you were like going for the hug. And then there was no hug there. <laughs> and then the devil comes on you. Look, at Pastor Christian doesn't love you. He doesn't want to hug you. He don't care about you. All he wants is your offering. I don't know. All he wants. He doesn't love you. Look. Look at the way he's hugging Janae. He loves Janae more than he loves you. You know, and, and you know, and, 
And next time you see me, you know, I'm like, I'm like, hey, how you doing, Paul? And Paul's just like, forget you. I'm like, Paul, what's going on, bro? Right? That's the real story. Why should I identify with an attack of the enemy? Right? Rather, you know, I need to identify what's really happening there. And then speak into your life and say, you need to govern your spirit. When you see those types of attacks happening, stop reacting to that. Stop receiving that. Stop coming into alignment with that. That's not who you are. That's not what Pastor Christian truly thinks about you. That's not what your small group leader is thinking about you. Because, you know, these small group leaders, yeah, we understand our small group leaders are not perfect. But I'm pretty sure the small group leaders are trying to minister to you in love. They're not doing it in order to uh, get a paycheck because they don't get one. They're not doing it for popularity. I mean, what, what logic is that? There's no logic for it. They're trying to do it with Christ-like love. And so maybe they were a little bit careless. Maybe they did something that you think you, they could have done better. But that does not give you the... the that's when you've got to govern your spirit and say, No. Yeah, my smuggle leader might be a little bit careless. But that person loves me. That man is trying to sow into my life. And I got to let him do it. Pastor Benjamin didn't allow the enemy to hide behind that wall of shame. And you shouldn't let him do that to you either. You know what I'm saying? In fact, Pastor Benjamin was telling me that shame and condemnation are never from the Lord. I know that sounds like a sweeping statement, but it's true. God never deals with us in shame and condemnation. He never uses shame to get you to do the right thing. We do that to each other, but God doesn't do that to us. It's just not the way God does it. You know, oh, oh, Jamie, look at all these things you did wrong this past semester. Man, doesn't don't that embarrass you? You should feel ashamed of that. Come on, do better this semester. God doesn't speak to her like that. Shame and condemnation are never from the Lord. Even when it's our fault, God doesn't speak to us that way. Let's say it was your fault. You didn't slip up. You went in. Like You, you chose to jack up. You, you were despising your small group member so much because that person has been the pain in the neck to you. And you intentionally didn't pick up the phone for three weeks. Even if it's all your fault, even if it is your fault, God doesn't speak to you with shame and condemnation. Because you know why? Because if you're acting that way, God knows that that's not your true identity. God knows that that's not the new nature, that's the old nature. That's not the Isaac, that's the Ishmael. So you know, the cool thing about God is, He never speaks to the Ishmaels. He never speaks to our old nature. He's done with the old nature. It's been crucified with Christ. So it's like a computer, right? You can't tweak that Windows operating system to get it to work. Or you just need a whole new operating system. God doesn't deal with that old nature. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I have to do it. I'm sorry, I have to do it. 
All the Windows lovers. All right. Uh, hey, I, I tried Windows 7 this past week, man. I, I can't stand it already. Anyway, um, God doesn't deal with the old nature. He says, no, you send it away. Like, like they sent away Ishmael. Because the promise is on Isaac. The promises of God and the plans of God are spoken to the Isaac, to your new nature. To the Christian, to the anointed one, to the new creation that you are in Christ. So God never addresses, he doesn't, he doesn't pet the old nature and say, oh, you poor thing, oh, you messed up again, oh, oh you can do better. He doesn't, do, he doesn't, do, he, doesn't even, he just ignores it. He just speaks to new nature. He says, you're a mighty warrior. You're a powerful preacher. You're an anointed minister. You're a successful business person. He just speaks to our new nature. And that's the way we need to speak to ourselves. We need to learn how to govern our spirit. And say, man, this is all my fault. This is all my fault. I messed up. I messed up. The the Lord doesn't say, yeah, you messed up. This is all your fault. God says, no. That's not who you are. So don't you stay there for one moment. You confess your sin, get the blood of Christ on it, and we'll forget about it. Let's move on. Because you're going on to higher things. Don't stay in that mud and mire. You're going on to higher things. But, you know, for us to come into agreement with things like that, we've got to learn how to govern our spirit. He who rules his spirit is better than he who takes a city. Hallelujah. I'm going to take this time. I'm going to pray for you guys. I just want to pray for, um, I want to take a moment. I want to pray for all the Emmaus staff. Emmaus staff, I want you to stand up to your feet. Let's go, let's go, it's the word for all the Emmaus staff, but in particular to the returning Emmaus staff, I want you to take a special note. Matthew and Tina, Aaron, listen to the word of the Lord. Do not trust what you see. Trust what I have said. Trust the prophetic words. Trust the prophetic visions that have been revealed to you. They are not there to tease you or to trick you. They are there to inspire you to the place where I have destined you. Do not trust what you see. Be unmoved by what you see. But just continue to trust what I have said. And there is only increase for Emmaus. There is only increase for Emmaus. Emmaus is not meant to just even stay at Yonsei University. Emmaus is to spread to other campuses. There's only increase for this ministry as you go into the future. So be unmoved. There's nothing that you've done wrong or nothing that you've done in your weakness that has caused the current situation. There's nothing that uh, you can do better That will change the situation. You're exactly where you need to be. Your heart is in the right place. You're full of faith. You're praying in the spirit. You're praying together. The Emmanuel staff, you are right where you need to be. There's increase coming. You cannot decrease. You are the seed of Abraham. 
You are blessed to be a blessing. It's only increase for you. So, Father, I pray for all the Emmaus staff, Lord. Pray that, God, that they will govern their spirit. They will reject every attack of shame, distraction, discouragement, fear. Right now, God, I pray that you will establish them. Establish them in the place of faith. Establish them in the place where they are saying yes and amen to all of your promises. Judy, there's only increase for you. There's only increase for you. You've been part of this ministry before this ministry was even called Emmaus. You were part of this ministry even before that. When it was just Pastor Christian walking the, the, the campus and praying by himself. And the only student that would respond to pray together was Judy Choi. There's only increase for you, Judy. You shall see. You shall rejoice in the travail of your soul. That everything that you have been crying out for, travailing for, you shall see the fullness of it. Do not be moved. Stay in the place where God has you. And continue to move forward. Do not keep your feet in the place of setback. You're not even standing on setback. It's only a setup for increase. Hallelujah. Matthew, you must increase. That is your identity. That is your nature. You must increase. And you are increasing. And God is transforming you from glory to glory. Only behold Him. Continue to keep your eyes fixed on Him. Keep your eyes fixed not on what is seen, but what is on the unseen. There's increase for you. Abundant increase. Increase that will cause people to say in a few years, Who is this man? Is this the same person that I knew? There's so much increase coming for you, Matthew. Hallelujah. Tina, you've made the right decision. You're right where God wants you. God's going to give you a voice in the Emmaus ministry. He's going to have you speak. He's going to have you sing. He's going to have you disciple, lead. God's giving you a voice. Increase influence and anointing authority on your voice. And you're going to have just tremendous influence on the college students. Pastor Aaron, there's only increase for you. There's abundance for you. Abundance, 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 abundance. A momentum. God has chosen you to be in the time where you will grow in the hidden place. He's chosen you to grow during this hidden, hidden season. And things look like a repeat of the previous semester. Things look like it just looked the same as the previous semester and you have not seen increase for semester after semester. But the Lord is saying that season is over. The season of increase is about to come your way. The momentum by which this season is coming your way, this is going to sweep you off your feet. The reason why you have nine staff working with you 
It's because God is faithful to raise up workers for the harvest. He's preparing the staff. He's placing them before you. Before you see the harvest, you are looking at the workers that will bring in that harvest. Only abundance. Like the sand on the seashore. Like the dust of the earth. Like the stars of the sky. Hallelujah. Speak blessing over the Emmaus staff, God. We thank you so much for them. Yeah. And you guys take your seats. And uh, I just want to pray for people right now that you're dealing with an incredible amount of shame. Like a lot of shame. And you know, it's not surprising. In in the Korean Confucian culture, uh, shame is a very powerful tool. Korean parents use it all the time to get you to get straight A's. To get you to practice violin. To get you to do what they want. Shame is a powerful tool. But I'm telling you right now. Shame is not what God uses. God uses honor. And it may look the same on the outside. But the heart is radically different. Honor has nothing. It's not even a cousin of shame. It has nothing to do with shame. Shame does not come from heaven. Shame is just the enemy's strategy. And so if you're in here and you're just struggling with a lot of, you're wrestling with a lot of shame and you feel like, you know what, maybe it is somewhat my fault, but you know what, I've, I've had it. I realize this ain't my fault. This is, this is not my fault. And I want, I want this shame. I want to govern my spirit today and I want to begin to destroy and dismantle this weapon of shame that has been used to manipulate me, to control me, to get me to do things that I know is not God's will. I want you to stand up if that's you. I want you to stand up. I'm going to pray to break that off. We're going to pray to destroy those siege works that Satan has set up around your heart. He's punching you in the face, slapping you, saying, look at what you've done wrong again. And then hiding behind that wall. And then you just feel like, oh, this is all me. This is all my fault. And and you want to break free from that. You want that to end. You want to start to govern your spirit. I want you to stand up to your feet right now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.